Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I'm a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're once again joining me on AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. If you're joining us for the first time, please check out season one with featured artists such as our fantastic technical producer, Artie Kapishki. If you're an old time listener, welcome back. Excited to introduce you to season two, episode three. Give us a follow at AP Studio BK on Instagram and TikTok for more updates. Keikoa Li'i Ho was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. He moved to Southern California from age one to six and back to Hawaii and then finally settled in Dallas, Texas throughout middle school and high school, graduating from Booker T. Washington Performing Arts School in Dallas and receiving his bachelor's from Miami Frost School of Music in 2018. His first instrument was piano, which he picked up at age six and then moved to jazz guitar and bass at age 10. After graduating, he began teaching in Miami at after-school music programs and a writing program for incarcerated students. At the same time, also producing and writing music, working as a jazz bassist on tour and with his band Shenzi, which was formed in 2016. He is open for artists such as CeeLo Green, PJ Morton, The Internet, and Erica Badu. His solo work brought him to New York City in May of 2020 at the height of the pandemic. And since then, he has built a collective studio space in Ridgewood with a group of artists he collaborates with currently. You can check out his latest single with Danny Mercia, which he released on Halloween 2021 called Sugar Skull, available on all streaming platforms. And be on the lookout for a solo album with a first single out in January 2022. Just want to give you a second after my intro to give you a little intro in your own words. Yeah, so my name is Koa. I'm a musician, multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, producer, educator, and just uh, all-around love music person. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Originally from Honolulu, Hawaii, via California, via Dallas, via Miami, and now finally in Brooklyn, New York. Who knows how long I'll stay. (laughs) But that's amazing. I mean, it sounds like moving a lot growing up. Yeah. I don't think we ever lived in the same place longer than a year when I was growing up. Yeah. How do you think that that has informed some of your like musical inspirations? Or or if it has at all? I think it it definitely has. It's made me... mm, I feel like a lot of things aren't sacred to me, if that makes sense. Like there's a lot of irreverence in the way that I treat my influences and just like cobble things together of stuff that I love. Do you like to make fun of things? I think, like, if you can't make fun of something, it doesn't matter. A hundred percent. Like, if you take things too seriously, they're, uh, they're it's not worthwhile frust- to, to love or talk about. Exactly. And it's frustrating to watch people kind of, like, live in that. I, I always think of it as, like, a holding on too tightly. Mm-hmm. You know, people just clinch. Yeah. And they kind of live in that. I think there's, like, something about how sentimental it can be or, mm. like, how tied you are to, like, the memory of something or, like, what it means or meant to you right and I I kind of don't have that I feel like I'm like there's like the sentimental part of me that like yes like I love like nostalgia and I love Mm -hmm. like talking about the good old days or whatever but at the same time I think there's this kind of thing that holds you back when you get stuck there right just move forward and like and that's so funny, yeah. having that perspective as a, I guess, classically trained, like, jazz musician. Right. <laughs> and it's and it's funny because classically trained is a thing that gets thrown around a lot. Right. And, like, it's like, oh, it's like a rite of passage to, mm-hmm. to do that. But then again, I'm, I think even 
for like the decade plus that I spent studying piano and studying bass, very like classical training. I I don't think I ever loved it as much as just like doing whatever made me happier, like creating stuff more spontaneously. A hundred percent. I feel like I've talked about this a couple times with musicians before about how like jazz is the ballet of music. So it, it has that like formative base in order to grow within. But like the whole thing about jazz is irreverence and breaking it down. Yeah, it's it's weird once you institutionalize things and especially art. I'm sure you've you've had that conversation many times. Once you put something in like an academic space and yep. you teach one version of a thing or one era of a thing for so long, you do squeeze the life out of it. Yeah. Any chance for it to grow and become something else has to happen outside of the institution. Exactly. And well, and also like within the individual himself, yeah. like whoever's bringing this to the next formation has to be outside of the institution. Right. I, I heard this quote. I can't remember at all where it's from, but like innovation only comes out of misuse of available resources. Ugh. And I just have been thinking about that for a long time. That's amazing. Lately. Yeah. Put that on my tombstone. Okay, so taking it back a little bit. So yeah. this kind of ability, like you're talking about, your ability to have a reverence and also, I'm assuming, connect with communities quickly? Not to like say that that's a bad thing. No, not at all. I think it's really important to be able to listen to people. Mm-hmm. Like, not even just in a musical sense, but the ability to everyone these days is like, oh, I'm an empath. I just like feel everyone's feeling so deeply. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you kind of, that's the lowest bar, I think. Right. Like, to identify as like, oh, I understand people's feelings. Like that's like the bottom of the barrel of like emotional intelligence. Right. So if you can enter a space that isn't yours and, and communicate with people and understand um, where they come from and approach that, like with respect, I think like it's not that, the idea of irreverence or like not sentimentalizing stuff means you should be disrespectful about how you approach no. them. But like, I think that it's often taken that totally, way. Totally, totally. But I, I think that there is a balance. Yeah, in everything. And I love studying the past. I love learning about lineages and like narratives, especially like, I don't know, going through school to study jazz. It's right. it's like, to me now, I'm like, oh, that's such a funny thing that I did that. But when I was <laughs> in it, it was like, I took it very seriously. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm in this, this is my life. And I'm here to learn everything I can about a tradition. And then once you start learning more, you start realizing, oh, you don't know, you, you keep coming up with questions, basically. Right. right. So back to the idea of entering or like meeting communities and trying to adapt really quickly. I think that's maybe the most important thing mm. that I picked up, at least musically of like... Ability to adapt? Ability to adapt and ability to have quick ears. And by that, I mean like musically and also, you know, being able to communicate off right. of that, even non-verbally. Right. And, and being, being in a space. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's, especially as we're kind of like reentering and there is this like, I see it a lot happening where people are not socialized right now. Very unsocialized. I would say I am for sure. <laughs> what, is, what does it mean to have a conversation? I feel like this this practice of interviewing has been, like you said, that kind of remembering how to listen to another person. But I, I see that not happening sometimes for some people. And Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's like, I don't know if you listen to Phoebe Bridgers at all. Yeah, I do. The whole concept of her last record is like a punisher is someone who just, you know, gives you an ear beating in a conversation 
So I think about that a lot and I'm just like, I never want to oh. be that. But then the flip side of that, if you don't have that balance of like, oh, I'm just doing all the listening and no talking is like you become a brick wall right. with, of like stoicism, right. no personality. So there's, there's like the ability to take up the space that you deserve to, I think. Mm-hmm. And then also the ability to have the back and forth of like being able to listen to someone and like right. genuinely hear them. Well, and I also think like H and I were even talking about this earlier about knowing who your people are. For sure. You know, because like I will talk to people sometimes and they will say, you know, how are you? How are you doing? And I'll say, you know what? I'm busy, but it's good stuff. How are you doing? You know, because I know that our relationship is not such to... Mm, To to actually tell them what you're really feeling. Exactly. Or to like trust them sometimes. For sure. Yeah. You know, but I think that that's interesting when you take it into a, a musical perspective. Yeah. Okay. So let's take it back again. So you're beginning this journey in a very, very structured environment. Your jazz mm. journey began really like when you're like 10 or... Uh, I would say the jazz journey began in my later teens. So okay. So that's at Booker T. Washington. At Booker more. T. Yeah. When I was okay. in high school. So up until that point, I was very... It's kind of like there's like two parallel trajectories happening. I'm in a program called School of Rock playing guitar and just wanted to be oh like a little... Oh my God, School of Rock! Yeah, I was in like the, the real life School of Rock yes. that the movie is actually based on. Yes. Um, like it's like a huge thing. Mm-hmm. School of Rock is a company that offers classes, camps, and workshops for guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, and vocals. It was started in Philadelphia in 2002 by Paul Green and has expanded to locations in 37 states and 14 countries. They teach using their patented School of Rock method. They start with rock songs and use them as a means for keeping kids interested in learning scales and chords. They hold one-on-one classes, group rehearsals, and live concerts at real venues for kids to perform together in bands. They've taught hundreds of thousands of students around the world. So I did that. That's kind of what got me. Started playing guitar and just, you know, in the realm of metal and rock and I just, that was what I loved. Right. And then at the same time in Dallas, which we haven't even talked about this yet. I like, know, yeah, like... I know. So, <laughs> so for the listeners, like, uh, Ko and I didn't actually know that we were both from Dallas when right. we first met well, until you performed at apartment party. Yeah. Last, yeah. Was that last, last party? Month? Or, last month. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually didn't know that we had like a huge Dallas connection. I have a yeah. ton of friends who went through Booker T. Washington. Yeah. My friends more on the like musical theater and theater sure. side of things. But then, yeah, just the Dallas connection of like Dallas music. I'm fucking proud of Dallas. Music. Honestly slept on. Yeah. Slept on. Yes. Shout out to like uh fucking Jason Burt and like a few motherfuckers yes. like that who are putting forth work right now. It's, it's a very vibrant music scene and criminally underrated. But Agreed. I, I guess the point I was getting at, too, is music education in Texas, arts education in general. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of money that goes into it. There's a lot of public funding for right. arts programs and schools. And Taka. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And like you just wouldn't think that given like the state's history of legislation and, and the politics of Texas. For sure. But I think I got really lucky when I moved there to just be, you know, in a really great orchestra program in like middle school and that got me like on the track to go to Booker T and that was all through yeah like playing classical bass. Booker T Washington High School for the Visual and Performing Arts was established in 1892 as the first African-American high school in Dallas. It was originally called Dallas Colored High School and went through many iterations before becoming the school it is today. It's the arts magnet school for the city and is the only school in the Dallas Arts District. 
Its graduates include Nora Jones, Erica Badu, Kennedy Davenport, Roy Hargrove, and Scott Westerfeld. TACA, the Arts Community Alliance, is an arts organization in North Texas. It started in 1967 as a charity event and grew into a funding organization that offers grants, residencies, and community initiatives. Their goal is to create a vibrant and prosperous community through innovative, inclusive, and sustainable artistic creation. For the listeners, I always send out a little survey before just to get an idea of like who, you know, we know each other, but I don't know like your whole life story. So in the, I don't know if you mind going into it, but in, oh, in the survey, please. you kind of said like my move to Dallas is a story in and of itself. That, yeah, that's Do you like, mind? Because I, you know, I have the Dallas connection, so I want to hear it. <laughs> okay, so that story is kind of probably the most formative one as far as like... Just life. Just life. Yeah. Like that, that kind of is like the biggest pivotal moment in my childhood. Probably mm-hmm. one of the only major events in my childhood that I really remember. Because you know right. how everyone nowadays, your childhood is just like a black hole. Like, oh, I don't remember it. Yeah. It's just traumatic. <laughs> um, love that. But, love that for all of us. <laughs> but long story, maybe not so short. We can get into it. But when I was nine, this is 2006. Mm-hmm. We were on a family reunion trip in Plano, Texas. Oh, shout out Plano. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Plano, Texas. It was my mom's side of the family and we had just come from Hawaii. And for some context for what was happening in Hawaii at the time, there was some massive flooding and like sewage spills onto the like canals and beaches. And so everything was like contaminated with like sewage basically. I like briefly remember this. (laughs) So that's that summer. Some people had died because of like going into the ocean with like cuts and bruises or whatever, or sorry, not bruises, but like open wounds. Mm -hmm. And we had been on a beach trip just before getting on the plane to Texas. In 2006, Hawaii was hit with a devastating 41 days of torrential rain. From February 19th to March 31st, there were flash floods, landslides, and mudslides. Caused major crop loss, infrastructure, and property damage. The Kaloko Dam broke, killing seven people. My mom woke up one morning in the middle of the week with like this crazy 104 degree fever. Oh no idea what was wrong with her. And she was just like, take me to the ER. Like something's wrong. Right. I don't know what. Yeah. Um, That's bad. Very bad. I also forgot to mention my mom is a doctor. So like for her to, she's an OBGYN. Oh, like for her to kind of be like, this is, this is bad. I don't know what's happening. Everyone was like, you never go to the hospital. You never ask for anything Mm -hmm. when it comes to health stuff. So this is serious, super serious. Um, So we get there. The doctors have no idea what's going on. They think she has either some sort of stomach thing or colon thing. Okay. Um, And it ends up that she had cut her foot on a rock in Hawaii and contracted this disease called necrotizing fasciitis which is a sounds bad eating bacteria yeah it's it's terrible i think there's an episode of house about it oh, of course watching. <laughs> yeah some crazy like movie medicine shit yeah um and so and you're in plano texas plano texas which <laughs> actually out. yeah baylor or we were at um presbyterian, presbyterian plano, okay. presby plano <laughs> yes yeah. Oh no, it was Wild. medical medical city. I don't remember. Yeah, don't no, remember. for sure. You're like nine, you're traumatized. Right, you're, right. Yeah. But healthcare in Texas is miles and miles above what healthcare is in Hawaii. So right. it's, it's almost like the best thing that could have happened that we ended up there because they had the facilities to take care of what she had. Once they figured it out, because Hurricane Katrina had happened the year before and they had gotten an influx of people from 
Louisiana. Oh, of course. Um, so they had, you know, all the resources and kind of like the foresight to be like, we've seen stuff like this before mm-hmm. from that. And yeah, she was in a coma for a month and a half. My dad and I were oh just like God. sitting there. Is it just sitting, you and your, you, you just me and my si- dad. Yeah. I do have half siblings, okay. um, but they were off and away yeah. living their lives at this point. I was Wild. the only one left in the house. Um, oh, baby Koa. Yeah, baby Koa in Plano, Texas. Oh, so wow. my, my dad made the executive decision before even knowing what was going to happen to just like up and and stay and move as much stuff as we could because wow. we were like i guess we're gonna stay in texas as long as possible and you have family there yeah i have an That's aunt and uncle that live in plano and that was it was great honestly yeah. like we had a place to stay but my mom finally woke up out of her coma and was just like what happened like oh where God. are we and we we had to stay because she had to rehab and it took over a year for her to get walking in but like they didn't have to amputate her leg which they would oh, have if God. we were in hawaii because oh, yeah, like no. medicine is like barbaric all of that to say <laughs> <laughs> ending up in texas was a complete just fluke uh, but it fluke. ended up working yeah. for you because like booker t is a great school yeah it's crazy in hindsight to think that like when i was nine i was like this is, this is i lived in hawaii i lived in paradise like, right. my life was fine like i can't believe i have to you're end landlocked. Up in this place where, where people ride horses to school <laughs> no they don't but like that was that was my image of what it was going to be like you know and it ended up being, I think, the best thing that could have happened for me, for my family. Right. And yeah, like any creative pursuit I had, there was there was almost no limit to what you could do there. Yeah, I think, like you said, it's very slept on. But, you know, shout no out Dallas. Knows. Yeah, no one knows. No, it's weird. And, and yeah. nobody wants to think of, I don't know. Everyone always says, oh, where are you from in Texas? Oh, Austin. I'm like, yeah, Austin was cool like 20 yeah. years ago. Right. <laughs> It's not, it's not the worst. It's not no, the best. No, but it's, you know, it's whatever. So, okay. So you're in Dallas, you're in Booker T. Washington. So what are your musical, obviously like you've got this really great base on your musical education. Mm-hmm. Who are you being influenced by at this point? What are your influences? I think it's interesting because with bass, I never really had a person or like any sort of thing in mind as far as, oh, that's what I want to sound like. This is what I want to be like. And I think that has a lot to do with how I approached the instrument, if okay. that makes sense. Because my love was always guitar, but I was mm-hmm. always told growing up that, you know, there are enough guitarists. Be a bassist. Be a bassist. Everyone needs a bassist. So my love has actually always been guitar. So I was always influenced by guitarists. Okay. And um, do you think guitar has influenced your style of bass? 100%. Okay. And it goes vice versa because I would say I probably play both instruments an equal amount at this point. Okay. And I play guitar like a bass player and bass like a guitar player. How funny. Like with, with guitar, I'm thinking in bass lines and rhythm and, mm-hmm. and very like bottom heavy movement. And with bass, I love playing like chords and melodies and like, yes. like turning that instrument into something more than, you know, a supporting role. Right. Just like having it be a soloistic instrument. Which I think like for me, I don't know, I'm I'm always very drawn to like the rhythm section, mm-hmm. like drum and bass, I think can add a lot that you don't necessarily latch on to first in a song, but mm-hmm. like take it away. And yeah, you and lose the foundation. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So you're starting out as a musician at this point. Were you working at all professionally? I mean, you're in high school, but I know some people, yeah. you know, start. There was a lot of gigging opportunity just cool. going to the high school I went to and the opportunities to just like play either with school ensembles or like to start freelancing in the right. scene. 
and there was enough to go around for everyone to like if I had to like sub on a bass gig for a jazz thing or like right. play with like a chamber group in a classical setting so yeah going, just like bars and clubs yeah I was gonna Dallas, say like you're going like, to the door going to the door going to club Dada, Dada yeah uh, my band when I had a band in Dallas yeah. our first gig was at club Dada oh so it's God. very like that was one of the <gasps> first places I played uh, when I was in School of Rock, too. Oh, so it's, oh it's yeah, like, it's they like, always did those School yeah, of Rock shows. Yeah, yeah, it's like one of those rite of passage yeah. venues. Club Dada has been an icon of Dallas nightlife in Deep Ellum since 1986. The founders, Tom Henvey, Doug Bodinger, and David Border, were in an avant-garde performance troupe called Victor Dada and wanted a dedicated performance space. It became known as an incubator for up-and-coming musicians. Edie Burkell, who's married to Paul Simon, and her band, The New Bohemians, got their start there fresh out of Booker T. Washington High School. After a string of different owners, Dada closed in 2009, but was reopened in 2011. One of the co-owners, Tim Daniels, died of COVID in January 2021. It closed in the spring of 2020, but was back that June and has been holding events ever since. It's so funny. I had a friend of mine last week who's on tour playing there and I was like, you will never believe. And she was like, no, like I also played here when I was in School of Rock what? like, and then like the all-star tour. And I'm like, <laughs> It's insane. kind of one of those, like, I, was, yeah. I was really sad to hear that the door shut um, yeah. during all this, but you know, things come, they go and we've got, you know, we've got other big venues like yeah, that going totally. on. Totally. Um, it's, it's happening over there and there's like very little regulations on anything. It's so. true. <laughs> yeah. For better or for worse, Texas truly, is going to wild out. Truly. <laughs> um, so what made you interested in the program in Miami? Money. Money. <laughs> it totally, was, totally it was, it was, I mean, first and foremost, like at Booker T, there's a like college showcase for the seniors. So when right. you are graduating, you know, they invite reps from whatever performing arts colleges, art colleges everywhere around the country to come and just be like, okay, what do you have? Like, who can we scout out for what we need for this program or that program? And so out of all the like four schools I was looking at, Miami... I just had like the most personal connection with the rep and it just happened to be a really great experience when I went to audition there in my senior year of high school and just kind of like meet the people. It was like, it was the most personal, like hands-on experience I had. Right. And they happened to give me a full ride so I didn't have to pay to go to school. <laughs> so it was like, it was, yes. it was, if I, if I didn't get that, I don't know what I would have done yeah. like going somewhere else. Cause all my, it was not my top option at first either. Mm -hmm. But it's in Miami. But it's in, that was the other thing I was like, like this is going to be cool. It's yeah, going to be fun. Like a full ride in Miami. Yeah. Like you're going to be fine. <laughs> and again, it was, it was really the best thing that could have happened to me. Good. Um, I think just like being in that environment and around you know, most of the people who now are still part of my like creative community and like the people I collaborate with the most, it's either like people I knew from Dallas or Miami that brought me like here to right. New York. You know what I mean? Did you know Day from Miami? I did not. So okay. that's another weird yeah. connection. Did you listen? Of, did you get a yes, chance to yes. listen? Okay. Yeah. So Day, who I um, interviewed last month, also went to school in Miami. We talked a lot about like the Haitian culture yeah, there yeah. and like Little Haiti and exactly. all that kind of stuff. So, but I don't, I know more about the art scene in Miami than I really do about the music scene. Like what, and what is the, the exact, vibe there? It's the exact opposite for me. Like I know very little about the art scene besides like the couple museums that are there, like the Salvador Dali and like uh, yes. the Perez art museum. There's one really small one on the university of Miami campus, but the music scene, I feel like I can't even speak on it now having been 
out of it for a couple years from right. what i know from people that are still there it's like so different because really? because miami is another one of those places where there were no regulations yeah they just wild they were, they were going <laughs> they crazy just, during covid so of all the music scenes it kind of popped off over covid like interesting like probably half of the venues i used to play at closed and you know for uh. every one that closed there are two that opened Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like... So the spots have just like really reorient. Right. I mean, At least I, in the That's happening. In, I mean, we've got some staples in New York, like, you know, the Delancey Pianos, like a couple of those places that were like obviously not going to quit, but there's a lot of other spots that have closed. Yeah. I mean, or just like, I don't know, there's a couple new spots. Like, I don't know if you've been over to TVI, which is over not. here and they're, they've you got like hit a... Me with the spots. Yeah, they've got a badass back new room and I know a couple of friends over there who are doing like monthly kind of residency stuff over there. You know, we had a couple of places that have shut down and i guess we talked a lot our first episode of the second season about comedy places in new york that really shut down yeah no i mean the same stuff's happening in dallas obviously but you do still have connections to the the community down there yeah so so when i was in school probably the most crucial thing that happened was being a part of this band called shenzi and the way that came about was it was a school ensemble uh the drummer for the band uh, my friend jonathan was finishing his master's degree and he needed a credit to graduate and so so you formed a band so we formed a band and you can get you can get a credit for starting an ensemble (laughs) and they were just like they're like start a band talk about what it's like to start a band in miami and that's your like that's your thesis for this credit that's amazing okay well i'll just like pick bassist my faves a guitarist uh keyboard player and a singer and that's it and amazing it kind of snowballed out of being just like a little school project and i think this feeling that we had about like okay we all are in school to study this thing that we we love which mm-hmm. is, is jazz but right. we also have so many more influences outside of that and so much more to say beyond like regurgitating what we're being fed right in school i don't know about you but you know i went to school for performing arts and how did you feel exiting that program in terms of like being professionally prepared i didn't yes okay <laughs> had, this is like a was, reoccurring theme yeah there's there's no footing provided no it's, money management no i mean you have to be your own business developer at this point i you had, have yeah one bullshit ass music <laughs> business class taught by someone who hadn't ever heard of a digital streaming platform you know what i mean Fuck. Yeah. so just like very removed from what it actually looks like to like, be a working like, right musician. like teaching a business class about something that existed 20 years ago Oof. when this is an industry that's changing every year if not every month yeah you know i was gonna I mean? say like quarterly yeah because like, there's like the new time. apps there's new oh you gotta have your link tree up and you gotta do this and blah 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 blah, blah. and like i felt i very similarly like i was sent out with knowledge from the 90s into like you know the 2000s or 2010s to be a working actor and just it's like no footing no footing no okay so so you graduate what is this what (laughs) where do you find your footing so i i stuck around in miami for a couple years because i got a job teaching and the first job I had was at a school called the Live Modern School of Music. And, okay. and kind of similar to how I grew up in School of Rock. It's, okay. it's a model where you you know have individual lessons and they have ensembles that they put together based on level. Where School of Rock is like mainly rock music. Here they were teaching jazz. They were teaching pop, R&B, cool. funk, you know, all this other stuff. To like little kids. To like little kids and, you know, teenagers and adults. You know, I had, awesome. I had a full range of students. Live Modern School of Music was started by Juan Pablo Diaz. 
He immigrated from Colombia in 2001, went to school for jazz performance, and became a guitar instructor at a small music school. He took over the business in 2005 and reinvented it with his brother and girlfriend into live. They built a headquarters in North Miami in 2010 and quickly became a hub for youth in the community. In 2013, Live became a member of Berkeley City Music Network, a consortium of community organizations across the U.S. and Canada that provides scholarships and educational opportunities. And that was, you know, a job I actually had through a lot of the first year of COVID. I was teaching online, even after I had moved wow. from Miami. So, like... All, right, because you like, moved in like May 2020. Right, which is another <laughs> like crazy, all, just a, <laughs> another crazy story. But yeah, so I was teaching there, and mm -hmm. then I also straight out of college got a job through my girlfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. She was teaching through a program called Exchange for Change, which is a writing program that works in prisons in South Florida. Awesome. And so, yeah. Yeah, I wanted was, to, I mean, that sounds fascinating. So those two jobs were like the first thing out of college. And it was kind of just like the job at live was through the singer of my band. Mm -hmm. um, her name is Des. And she was like, I'm over this. Like, if you want a teaching job, it's yours. And I'm like, anything. <laughs> Literally please, anything. God. Money, please. Yeah. <laughs> and music. It was just yeah. like, okay, cool. At least the job working in prisons was, I don't even know. It's, it's hard to like. <laughs> I was like, do you consider yourself a writer? So it was a songwriting class songwriting. also. Yes. Oh, okay, yes. gotcha, gotcha. So that makes more sense. within the context of the program I was working for, we were the only music class. So all the other okay. classes were teaching poetry, you know, memoir writing. There was a legal writing class. And there, the basis, like the core class. Sounds like an awesome program. Amazing program yeah. run by a lady named Kathy Cleric. Shout out, Kathy. Kathy. Um, I'm just like really a superhero of a person that That's I awesome. can't I can't imagine just like the boundless energy and charisma that she needs to like maintain takes a lot to work in systems like that to spearhead that and to yeah. like keep going mm -hmm. I mean even working for them I was like this is exhausting work and this is like like emotionally physically mentally everything taxing teaching is a lot that's what I did right yes. out of school as well yeah. and teaching is very intense especially if you're teaching with kids who are like not fucking happy yeah but I will say that teaching grown men in prison was actually not easier but more enjoyable most of the time because you have a captive audience right um, they're like this is my shit for the right, day right <laughs> right right this is like i've been waiting all week for this so it'd be like once a week i would go in and we'd have a two-hour class and i started co-teaching with my girlfriend at the time and then she moved and i took over the job um, by myself and it was really eye-opening for me as a teacher as a person and to see firsthand what it's like to have to create under dire circumstances with no resources, with no ability to like, <sighs> like for me sitting in like, oh, I'm so privileged. I like grew up with everything I could have wanted. Right. Every resource, it was just there musically. Mm -hmm. It was like, I never had to like struggle to be heard even once I learned how to do something. Right. And to have the opportunity to be like a fly on the wall in one way and then mm -hmm. to be like interacting on a personal level with some of like the best writers I've ever met. Wow. That, that no one will ever hear except through the context of that program like they've released some publications and there are anthologies of work that have been made but 
like, you know, the laws regarding content creation in prison, like you can't really record things and get recordings out. Um, I'm sure you've heard Fuck. stories of rappers, you know, doing verses over the phone and yeah. like getting that yeah. on the track that comes I know, out. But I it's know like, that like TikTok has been like really big in prison. It's crazy. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy like, how? how that happens. And obviously <laughs> illegally, but yeah. it's like, it's great that yeah. that's happening. Like someone is, is figuring this out. But yeah, we were, we were just the only, the music class and like they had a ton of instruments through donations from outside of the program. And so they were like people in bands, you know, there Mm -hmm. were gospel bands, country bands and people that could just like write their asses off. I felt like I was the worst writer in the world. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know how I'm qualified to be teaching anyone to rhyme. But I think like kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about having the ability to just sit back and listen. Yes. That is such a gift, especially in a place where vulnerability is not championed, at all. Yeah, championed at all. Yeah, I feel like that is such a nice, just like sit the fuck down and be like, I'm the worst writer in the room and I'm just going to listen right. and like offer this support and also kind environment, even if it's two hours a week. Yeah, supportive, kind, and volatile. It's probably yeah. like, just imagine every aspect of the human condition amplified at once. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Oh, I bet. And for me, like my, I have raging imposter syndrome as many artists do. It was just like, you know, you put a magnifying glass on that of like a room of 15 incarcerated students that mm-hmm. are like, what do you have to teach me? What do you have to show me? Like, what do you know and you're that like, I can't Man. figure out on my own? And I'm like, <laughs> we're going to figure yeah. that out together. <laughs> I'm like, I can play the bass real good. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Kind of going back to the survey I sent out before, you know, before we met tonight, I always ask like what goals people have for themselves. Cause I think it shows a lot like what you're working towards and kind of where you are with your heart and stuff. And I loved one of your goals, just to quote, it said, continue to incorporate abolition into my creative work through educational platforms in the prism system and throughout music. Could you expand a little bit on that? Yeah, of course. I mean, and did it come out of this experience? 100%. Yeah. I think it came out of this experience and just viewing myself through the lens of what it means to believe in abolitionist principles and to like follow with what that means about like the society we live in, not just as an artist, but like as a person, like how you can strive to like be an abolitionist in your everyday life. And especially I think in the context of Black Lives Matter in the past year and and George Floyd and Maude Arbery and all of this lifting of the veil on racial injustice in America in the past year, it's for me a necessity to reckon with in how you approach art and how you approach being a creative person, right? like making anything. And I really, I mean, I truly don't believe that all art should be political. Most of the time I feel like art that is specifically political is bad. Right. It but can there, be, I but think. But there is that line that is drawn between, you know, again, it's like irreverence and respect. It's like hmm. knowing what is going on in the world, trying to understand the human condition and striving for fairness and justice, if not just to be able to sleep at night, to know that like what you're doing is worth anything at all. Because what's the point? Otherwise, if you're not, uh, right, if you don't have something to say, if there's not like an urgency behind what you're working on. Yeah. Unless it is like a practice of continued exploration of self and society. Like what is, yeah. what is it? Yeah. What is it? It's nothing. <laughs> yeah, literally. 
It's nothing. So I love to hear that. And I think that kind of ties in a little bit with what Day and I were talking about last month about the art hang and how that really formed and some of that sort of like decolonize and deconstruct. So coming to New York in May of 2020, wild, number one. Yes. Um, Insane. But you seem to have really like found this awesome niche of artists. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, going off of like the art hang too. Right. Just like, and not knowing day was from Miami or like had lived in Miami. Yeah. Like meeting through the internet. And like, we only met for the first time this year, you know, like this summer, I think. And like having been internet friends for so long. Right. Because everyone's like vaccinated. They're like, in that that same educational space, coming to New York was, it was a plan I had before COVID. Okay. I had planned in January of 2020 to move here and live with a friend of a friend and I was going to move in March. I actually moved half of my stuff in March, the first week of March of 2020 (laughs) and then went back to Miami and everything got fucked. Everything was just shut down and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but Mm -hmm. I was on, I was luckily I was on a month to month lease in Miami so okay. my landlord was like okay I guess you can just yeah nobody else was trying to yeah, move to Miami at that point literally <laughs> no but but you'd be surprised because <laughs> yeah, like a couple May, months April, later May, yeah. it started popping off people yeah. were like oh y'all ain't got restrictions <laughs> yeah, mm, yeah. let me check that out yeah. I mean, I'll, be, I'll be right there real quick so it was in Dallas I was like what it was crazy yeah so like I was stuck in Miami for another couple months trying to figure out when if I was gonna come to New York and the person I was gonna live with was like yeah I mean you know it's not the best, but you could do it. Yeah. It wouldn't be the worst thing. And like, you're already working online. So last was summer like, was like a fever dream too. Yeah. It was just like everyone sitting in parks being yep. like, what do we do? Just like, hey, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hey, sit on the, up? I'm going to sit on my towel over here. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did it yeah. and I, I drove up like May 1st of 2020. It was like the craziest thing leading up to that drive. Actually, this is another like crazy part of the story, but I, trigger warning on psychedelics and mental illness Mm. right before i drove from miami to new york i had like a mushroom trip in my apartment where i was like i'm just gonna you know just like i'm putting a pin in this Mm -hmm. experience and uh, it ended up being the worst trip i ever had in my life and i like i wound up in the hospital a lot of hospital stories in this story (laughs) no don't be sorry it's fine but i had like a mild psychotic break oh um, my gosh on psychedelics and like jumped out of a window oh wow i'm really it was it was a second story window thankfully i'm glad you're here i'm so glad i'm here too and it was a really tough time very tough time yeah. and you know probably the worst time to be tripping mushrooms in your apartment during well, the middle of a global pandemic you know that being said hindsight is 2020 you know kind of thing yeah, yeah. five so. days after that i hopped in a car and drove to new york what's so okay so what's your <laughs> mental state is this like a my shedding? mental st- my mental state is like lucid i was like that was okay. like a fever dream it just feels like it didn't even happen and i was like probably for like a three or four month period it was like this just the initial shock of of that right wasn't really i think i was just you know like when you get a cut for the first like 30 mm-hmm. seconds it doesn't start bleeding or whatever you just kind of look at it and you're like huh and then you feel the pain uh, so you were you did some like some processing yeah the past year after that was a lot of talking to my therapist yeah and and working through you know what led me to that point but I think when I first moved to New York I I was kind of just had the blinders on I was like I'm gonna do this we're gonna be in it I 
I'm just going to figure it out, yeah. whatever. And nothing's going to bother me. And in that phase, I think I was like the most open about that experience mm-hmm. that I've been to just talk about. And like, I don't really know what it meant to me at that time, you know? Yeah. Um, Any sort of clarity now? I think now trying to to put it into words and just convey exactly what brought me to that point right. was obviously a long history for me of kind of what we were talking about of not feeling like tethered to an identity tethered Mm. to this core sense of self regarding who I am as a person who I am as an artist and I think under the influence of psychedelics it sort of fractured and I kind of lost sight of exactly who I am Mm. at all wow and in that moment just like complete disassociation from my identity and just feeling like well I don't know and yeah. and past that point, like understanding that's what the feelings I was having were. Right. Because I like to describe what it felt like in the moments leading to like me being hospitalized. Mm-hmm. It does feel like a blur. Like it doesn't feel like I have like complete. You don't have like cut like, complete dry, like chronological yeah. order of events of like this happened. Then I felt this and then I woke up. It was kind of like I was tripping. I felt myself feel like I wasn't myself and then right. I woke up in a hospital bed and I was like whoa I'm so, awake I'm so it's sober. been a rebuilding now yeah of it's, that? it's it's been a rebuilding and a reassessment renegotiation of what exactly the experience was right because it continually gets funneled through layers of new experiences too yeah and for me like I'd, I'd never had anxiety attacks or panic attacks until after that experience and I'd never had like dissociative episodes where I was like sitting in a room with someone having a conversation and then just completely lost sight of like, where am I? Like what's going on? I have a feeling we're all going to be processing a lot of, here's the thing I see people who are not doing that kind of work, who are not sitting down and processing and evaluating what's happening right now in the world with them, with their families, with society in general, they're the ones who are going to be having a hard time. So do it right now. Absolutely. That's what, I'm not saying that as like a preachy no, no, no. sort of thing. I'm just saying yeah. like, let's do it right now. Absolutely. If you feel sad, sit down and feel sad. Uh, figure it out. Label it. Yeah. You know, like talk to someone about it. Just yeah. don't let it sit there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember my therapist said something like, I was like, that's what that is? <laughs> she was like, yeah, you dumb bitch. <laughs> that's what we've been talking about this whole time. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> But, wow. but, but again, so you're here. I'm here. And yeah. again, like going back to like, if you can't laugh about it, right? like what's the point? What the, and so, yeah. and so for me, it was also, I mean, like you said, talking to it about your family, I come from a very religious family. I come from like a conservative Ooh. Christian family and it was a huge moment of transparency and honesty. Cause what are you going to talk to your parents about? Like, right. oh, I fell down the stairs and ended up in the hospital. It was like, no, this was, this was a very serious thing and like if I weren't here today what answers would they have like what would they tell themselves do you think it's helped like with y'all's relationship I do I think I think it was it was a pivotal moment actually in like my relationship with my parents because I think at that point they trusted me enough to be like okay you've been you know living in Miami for a couple years you're self-sufficient like we're not really worried about whatever path you're on and Mm -hmm. that moment they were kind of like maybe we don't know you at all and I was like I I don't know if I know myself at all which is okay and a valid question to yourself especially like if you're if you're I've definitely had those moments where 
I was on a prescribed path for a very long time and doing checking the boxes as you go and made some decisions in my like mid 20s where I was like, oh, I'm not fucking doing that anymore. And they've been the best years of my life. And I do think like I am more honest with myself. I have a very honest relationship with my parents, but like I have made more honest decisions going Mm, forward. I love that. And it's hard. It is hard. I think I never felt like I could do that. And right. it kind of like busted the door wide open for me to be like, hey. You're like, well, hey. Yeah. It's here now. <laughs> We're at this point, you know, I can't really keep it from you. Yeah. I've done drugs. I've done drugs. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a lot of pressure, I think, being an Asian American person right. and like the stereotypical, you need to go to college and be a doctor or a lawyer right. was a part of my upbringing and I think my decision to be a musician wasn't my family didn't straight up say like you can't do that they were like "Uh, maybe think about that a little bit before you go full steam ahead right but they trusted me enough which I can't give them enough credit for to like have some respect for my decision and to understand that I knew what I was doing to some right. extent. Like there was trust there and love there when I went to college. Mm-hmm. And actually I was in my first week of college, I was doubling in like a pre-med track. Cause my mom was like, can you please <gasps> can just you- do this? <laughs> like just for me, like just have the plan B. And after that first week of like going to biology classes and like all my pre-med requirements, I met with my advisor and he was like, Bro. Hey, he was like, Hey bud, like Choose one. he's like, you are half assing two things, whole ass one thing. He's like, there are kids in this pre-med program. They're going to like take your lunch money and they actually want this. So like he was like uh, looking at my record or whatever. He was like, your scholarship is only music. So like do it. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I, was, I called my parents that day and I said, hey. So it was like a first like big that was, that was conversation. A, it was a big conversation. And I think I felt a lot of pressure after right. that point to like succeed at it and make sure that it was an airtight plan even though there was mm. really no plan it was like i'll figure it out when i well, figure like it you out said, i mean there's like there's no preparation for being a working musician okay so you're here you have had this experience you're kind of in this like i don't want to belittle it by calling it like a coping pattern because yeah. like but like yeah. last summer so you're in this i mean we all were Again, not to belittle no, what yeah. you're going through in your individual. So you're still with Shinzi at this point, sort of? Yes and no. We okay. were still putting out music. Actually, okay. the day I got to New York was the day we put out like the last single we put out. And that was awesome. kind of it. Okay, at that so point, that was we, like, sort of another like beginning and end. We put a button in it. And actually, it's funny. I actually saw everyone last week for the first time in two years. Oh my it was gosh. like it was yeah all these things are just kind of coming together right now oh, like that's oh nice. were they up here they were up here we oh, all amazing. met up in new jersey our guitarist's family has a beach house <gasps> in new jersey shore oh, <laughs> love it. but it was amazing and like those people are my family i was actually the person when i moved to new york that said that we need to take a break just to like in the middle of a pandemic focus right. on ourselves figure out what we're doing with our lives we were each in you know five different cities at this point people well, had gone figure, home figure out yourself musically too yeah like, that was my God. that came and i think like everyone now is kind of reaching this point in their solo endeavors where mm-hmm. we're like figuring it out and feel stronger coming back to what we had right honestly there's no one i would rather perform with there's, there's no people on this earth that I trust more in a musical setting to understand me, to receive all the things that I do and am in, right. a, in an artistic context and to just like be there for me 
when I fall. Like, that's my family. And I have felt like a little bit like a prodigal son in a way. Because I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm moving to New York. I'm leaving this shit behind. You know, and now but I'm like, like got to do your thing. Yes, you got to fall flat on your face a little bit. A little bit. And, little and now bit. I'm like, hey, I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Am I toxic? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but you have this community now, this studio in Ridgewood yes. as well. So what does that look like for you? What's the day-to-day there with those people? And Okay, yeah. So that, too, was kind of just born out of like late 2020 okay kind of as things were not even reopening but i think there was a little bit more of a sense of optimism in Mm. new york about like stuff possibly coming back next year yeah my friend danny who i met in miami we didn't go to college together but we just kind of met on the music scene became best friends also an aquarius shout out (laughs) she had lived here for you know a few months before me she was actually the person who hooked up my living situation when i moved to new york she was like dating this guy and they broke up and then i moved in with him That's a whole nother layer. We were talking about messy roommate shit earlier. The messiest situation I've ever been a part of. But I'm like, there's enough side tangents to this story that we don't need to get into. That being said, she's my best friend and like lives up here. And funny enough, she had connected with someone I went to high school with. His name is Elliot. And we all just ended up in a room making music together one day. And like me and Elliot hadn't talked in years and was like, right. oh, we're both in New York. And now we have this mutual friend and that's crazy. And then I love New York for him, that. It's, it's amazing. Like just the rabbit hole of like connections. Yeah. Degrees of separation. Yeah. Yeah. It's so small. I know. It's, it's <laughs> massive. But at the same time. Especially if you're time, in music or the arts. Or oh my God. Everyone yeah. fucking knows everyone. <laughs> but yeah, like through her reconnecting with Elliot and then meeting Elliot's best friend, Zach. And the four of us decided just to like build out this space. And Mm. there's like a bunch of warehouse spaces in Ridgewood that have like studio complexes where there's tons of like recording studios. So we found a building and the rent was like dirt cheap at this point. Like we're all paying like a hundred bucks a month each for like. That's gorgeous. I mean, it's like a (laughs) hundred. Artie's crying over here. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a room that is like half the size of this room. But we're like, this is our haven. This is our Mecca. And we built a loft in it. Like like made it into like a little two story thing and that's all you need though right i mean for four people like it wasn't even with the express intent of like us all being there at the same time Mm -hmm. it was like whoever needs the space to write whoever needs the space to rehearse or mix something it's like we have this now we don't have to do it in our apartments right and i think that kind of just snowballed into like you know everyone has their degrees of separation and so building out a larger community of people to like write and produce and collaborate with. And you also around the same time started working with the art hang. Yes. Yeah. So this you, is all kind of at the same time. And, and so, and so that I have not had the opportunity yet to, I kind of have looked back through their Instagram and kind of looked at some of the artists that y'all covered, but like, what are some of the things that you've been excited to explore with them and like bring forward to that community? So you talked to day, yes. you know, the last episode yes. and I absolutely loved like hearing more about her cause we're <gasps> friends, but I feel like there's so much, you know, with every person, you know, it's like, I'm like, Oh, I did not know that about right. you. Right. Like, you're you not going to like sit down and have this sort of conversation right, for like a two right. hour t- time period or whatever. It's also interesting once you have feel like you've known someone for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've known Day for a year plus. Yeah. I'm like, I don't have any questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but I really don't know you. And she lives down the street from me. Yeah, like a block. You're fucking neighbors. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> but we met on the art hang through then my friend Alana was someone I went to college with. So she kind of like her and Day spearheaded this whole thing. And I hopped on initially just to like join the meetings and I was like I want to learn about 
art. I know jack shit about art. So (laughs) at the point that I was like, hey, if you guys need someone to help with like organizing or like visual stuff or like, hell, I'll just send out some emails. Yeah. That's kind of mostly what I do now at this point. That's awesome. That's hyper valuable work. Yeah. And I've I've done some presentations on uh, musicians. I gave a presentation on, you know, incarcerated artists and what's (gasps) being done for those people in those spaces. And that's been some of my favorite stuff. Just like be able to to have a platform to talk about that with. Send us stuff that yeah, you've done about yeah, yeah. that because i want to add in some of that um, we have we have like a database in our, our google drive of pretty much every presentation we've done so, oh i'll have to check it out yeah honestly with the art hang i think it's more for me to ingest information than to input gotcha. it which i which i love because i think to be there and to like support my friends and like have this weekly or now bi-weekly, bi-weekly. thing where we just like talk about art mm-hmm. and like I get to hang out with people I yes. like that's that's another you know sense of like building out a community that isn't physical and I think I'd never really done that you know mm. everything for me I had this realization a couple years ago when I was still living in Miami but I was like all the work I've done and all the opportunities I've had to work in music have been through word of mouth or a personal connection I've never had a gig from 100%. the internet I've, I've never yeah I've never gotten anything just from like networking online because I'm like what is that it really that, is about real. who you know right and also approaching those people you lose 100% of the shots you don't take or whatever yes, you know yes, it's like yes. it's like reaching out to those people and being like yo like I need work or whatever yeah. you know yeah. think of me for your next thing exactly in the context of covid it was impossible to do that right you know especially as an artist just in general though too so it was like i found myself in the art hang i joined a couple of like discord groups for songwriters and producers mm. and you know just met all these people from around the world that are, are doing trying to do similar things yeah and it's so cool to realize that like that's a way to have community without really having it and totally. now, now it, it seems to me like extra work to keep up both of those and to engage in it on the ground. And so that's the balance I've been trying to strike now, just like real life and internet. I remember when it was probably like this time last winter and Corey Germain, who was on last season, he's a photographer and him and I were kind of like collaborating. We ended up doing uh, an event over the summer, kind of like once everyone was vaccinated. We talked a lot about that balance between opening back up and saying yes to too many things out of excitement. I don't know how to say no. Ah! (laughs) I wish I knew. I talk about this all the time always complaining to my friends they're just like you never fucking say no dude (laughs) it's such a good practice though or just realizing the people that you do want to align yourself with and moving forward with those people in terms of like with apartment party like i am so used to doing that monthly and meeting like a handful of new artists every month and not having that was like a very big loss yeah during that time so in terms of community so i want to number one just thank you for being here and we are thank you for having me we're gonna wrap up here pretty quick but last season my thesis was what does joy look like in a community setting going forward which i asked all the guests and i also asked like our audiences and listeners so the thesis question for this second season has come out of a lot of those answers. And so I kind of want to put this to every guest. The question is, uh, what methods of community support inspire you? Ooh, that's a good one. Or what methods in our community do you see? What methods of community support inspire me? I mean, I met this random dude in a bar a couple weeks ago and I have (laughs) have no idea. I don't remember what his name was. I think we were both like pissed drunk (laughs) and he was just like, you know, I just got out of the army. I just moved to Brooklyn. Wow. Um, What do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a musician. He was like, 
what's your like Spotify? Can I follow you? And he's like, I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, there's not much there, but like, please. And he's like, love is free. Oh. And so I was like, oh, that, I feel like that's kind of like the perfect answer to that is just like, oh, just like showing someone love. Just show up. Like, if you don't have anything nice to say too, don't say it. Fuck yeah. Like, that's some grade school shit. But yes. like, as a grade school teacher, that shit <laughs> sticks with me. I'm like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't. But, but love, a is, click love and is free. A follow, and that's yeah. free. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, yeah. everyone benefits. Like, there's room for everyone in today's context to just like share and whatever it is that we're all doing and be famous in your circle right like as much time and as much energy as you have to just like offer the smallest show of support i think it's the biggest thing to anyone Mm -hmm. because like i think we all have our eyes on numbers all the time and it's just it's not even about that it's just about like the actual you know nature of like here is some love it's not transactional Mm -hmm. that's it like, yep. like turning art spaces into spaces that are not transactional, I think is like the biggest thing. Decolonize it. Decapitalize Decolonize, it. democratize, <laughs> disgust, decapitalize, decapitate. Decapitate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Scratch that last one. <laughs> well, sometimes. <laughs> well, that's incredible. I love that. Love is free. hundred uh, percent. Giving support is free. Well, incredible to have you on. Thank Koa. you. It's, um, been, it's been great talking uh, to you. Tell the listeners where to find you and anything you have coming up that you would like to share. You can find me at Koa Ho Ho Ho. That's three hoes pretty much anywhere. I uh, just put out a single with my best friend Danny on Halloween. It's called Sugar Skull. Ooh. And starting next year, I will be releasing music under just Koa Ho starting in January. going to put out my first single of yes. this project I've been working on for like it's my COVID project <laughs> as we all have yeah. one. Um, and, and now after having reunited with everyone in Shenzi, we're planning on putting out like our whole back catalog of music. Fuck so yes. come summer of 2022, we'll be on the lookout for that stuff. Um, Incredible. yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Yes. This has been a pleasure and a joy. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you. AP Studio Files can be found on all streaming platforms. Follow us on Instagram at AP Studio BK. This is the last episode of 2021, so happy holidays and have a safe New Year's, and we'll see you next year. Message us for info regarding how to attend our monthly apartment party. The next one is on January 23rd, 2022. AP Studio Files is hosted by Miller Pike with technical production by Artie Kapishki, photography by Tucker W. Mitchell, and research by H. Connolly with music by Fab the Duo. AP Studio Files.